funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers them for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious or not. We deserve this win, man. Fox Sports 5 flying high in Motown. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, and then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like that's that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. There's no Bryant West on here today. Instead, I am joined by Jacob Niffin here. And Jacob, thank you for joining me, man. Yeah, Brennan, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be on. Yeah, and you cover the the OKC Thunder. You do the Uncontested podcast, also part of the Blue Wire Network. Um, so today we're going to kind of dive into some Marvin Bagley trade possibilities and also talk about the draft. Um, but I want to start with Bagley here. Um, you know, it's have you seen all the reasons that there's rumors of his name being thrown around with his dad? And then he liked to tweet a couple weeks ago and King's Twitter was, was not too happy about it. Yeah. And does, doesn't the stuff with his dad go all the way back to like February or something like that, yeah. where his dad was making some some tweets very early in the year and yeah so yeah that's uh not good yeah not and the issue stuff. was that bagley uh you know kind of just brushed it off in the media said he didn't want to talk about it when you know like you have an opportunity to come out and say hey you know my dad doesn't speak for me um but he definitely didn't shut any of it down and then yeah this like tweet and kind of seemingly blaming it on the kings almost in a way and maybe we're reading too much into you know one like tweet i, I don't think it's shocking that Bagley could potentially be on the move this offseason. But, um, you know, from an outsider point of view, what's been your impression of Bagley so far throughout his career? Yeah, so I think a lot of people view him, and I'm sure Kings fans do this as well, and, and God bless your souls for this, but I think a lot of people view it in the context of where he was taken at in that draft, right, with Luka Doncic yeah. sitting on the board and and so it's always viewed as, oh, he was, you know, why did you take him in the draft? Luca was sitting there. You Trey Young was sitting there. Shea Gilgis Alexander was still there, although he would have been a reach on draft night. But, you know, and so I think a lot of people take that perspective. I thought Bagley was interesting in college. I had a little bit of worries about his transition to the NBA. And then it feels like he's just never lived up to maybe both his potential and his draft position. I think sometimes we unfairly hold players to where they were taken in the draft and just not them as people and, and how they progress. I actually had this conversation with someone the other day about, you know, if Andrew Wiggins was the 10th overall pick in the draft, I think the NBA as a whole has a much different view of him. Maybe it's the same thing with Bagley. If you took him at eight or 10, his, the perspective of him in the NBA is much different than where he was taken, but you know, he's definitely underwhelmed. Uh, but I think as, as we'll get into it, that's part of the reason why I find him as an interesting trade candidate for the Oklahoma city thunder. Definitely. And I think, you know, he was always a raw prospect and obviously the talent level when you're talking about um, his ridiculous build fluidity bounce, you know, the, infamous second jump and everything. Um, but he was always a prospect that needed to fine tune a lot of the fundamentals, have the game slow down for him on both ends of the floor. You know, he displayed like a little more switchability this year than I think we had saw before. Um, but he hasn't really been healthy in order to get that development time that you already know coming in that a raw prospect is going to need, you know, he's had a lot of, um, kind of random injuries. He had the foot injury, he broke his hand. Um, a, a lot of, random things that I, I don't necessarily, um, you know, look at a guy and it's like, he just keeps re-injuring the same thing over and over. Like, um, 
feel horrible for the guy, but like a Zach Collins thing, right? Where I have a yeah. lot of trouble believing he's ever going to be healthy because of this one ongoing issue that doesn't seem to go away. At least Bagley's are kind of different things. And maybe it's just been a stretch of bad luck, um, but he hasn't really gotten the time to develop. His raw numbers look really good this year, actually. Um, 14 points, seven and a half boards on 50% from the field, 34% from three, um, only 57% from the free throw line, which is crazy because the three point percentage last year was 18% and the free throw percentage was 80. Um, so a little bit weird there, but there, there was a lot of progress, I think in his three point shot. And that's where you saw the real development this year. And he played like within a flow of the offense. Um, but I still think he leaves a lot to be the desired. And I, I think it is fair to say, and some Kings fans don't agree with me here, but I, I think Bagley was a negative pretty much most times he was on the floor. I, I think that, um, he has the tools to not be obviously, but at his current point, he's one of the worst defenders in the league and there's totally progress that can be made, right? You're talking about a 22 year old, um, that has barely played more than hundred games in the league. Um, which I think is why OKC is interesting, right? Is, um, I think what it revolves around trading Bagley to OKC from Sacramento's point of view is cap relief. Um, and the question I want to start with you is what do you think like the off season plan is for OKC with this? I think it's roughly like 37 million that they're working with. Yeah. So they, the Thunder have an insane amount of cap space. And here's the thing, Brendan is in the history of the Oklahoma city Thunder, as far as name is concerned, their biggest free agent signing ever has been Nerland's Noel out of Dallas. Uh, as far as dollar amount is concerned, their their biggest free agent signing ever was Patrick Patterson out of wow. whenever he became a free agent agent in Toronto. And I think the Thunder just signed Patterson for the taxpayer mid-level around 5.4 million at the time. This is a a very small market team that understands that their roster building is not coming through free agency. And so what, what my personal belief is on what they'll do with that cap space. And I I'm basing this off of experience and history and what they've done in the past. They're not going to go out. You know, I, I, a lot of people like to tweet at me and say, Oh, the thunder should go throw a, a huge contract at John Collins, a restricted free agent or at Lonzo ball. The thunder have never, ever done that. What they're more likely to do and what history tells us Sam Presti will do is use that cap space and rent it out in order to collect assets. So uh, I I think like a a Kevin Love trade, right? Where the Thunder take on Kevin Love's contract in a trade for nothing in return. They just absorb that contract and you attach a first round pick to it. Uh, Or say somebody this summer um, wants to sign a free agent, but is $10 million too short. They need to unload a contract. Well, the Thunder are there to, to take that contract from you, and then you attack, attach two seconds or a first-round pick, lightly protected first, and the Thunder will take that contract off your hands. They're way more in the market of accepting bad contracts uh, to collect assets than they are to actually go out free agent shopping, especially at this point in their rebuild where the Thunder are all in on player development, on getting young guys in the door. I mean, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is 22. Alexei Pokashevsky is still 19 years old. You've got guys like Ty Jerome, Darius Baisley, Lou Dort. I mean, when, when you look at what the core of this team moving forward is going to be, barely any of them are like of legal drinking age. And so <laughs> they're not looking to go out and make some splashy free agent signing and, and jump back into this. They're taking the slow slow build, the slow burn to get back. And so that that cap space is going to be there. I, I think we're going to get into this with, with Bagley's contract. It's not like the Thunder are trying to withhold that cap space because, oh, we're going to go out and sign this ex-free agent at a three-year, $65 million contract. That's just not going to happen. Like I would be absolutely floored if the Thunder did something like that. That would be the most unexpected thing uh, for me in the past two years in the world. And that includes a global pandemic happening. So I, <laughs> I do not think that is going to happen. Yeah, that makes sense. And what you mentioned of a team needing to offload some of their own money in order to re-sign a free agent is exactly 
um, a, at least a major force of the conversation behind trading Marvin Bagley. Um, you know, the Kings need to free up space in order to re-sign Rashawn Holmes. Um, we'll talk through the deal in a sec, but just like for an example, if it was, say, Kenrich Williams as the guy in return, um, which, you know, wouldn't surprise me if that is just me being optimistic, but we'll get into that in a second. It's $2 million contract compared to Bagley's $11.3 million. Uh, so from the Kings' point of view, if, if that was, you know, they were able to drop about $9 million in salary, and they renounce everyone's rights this um, offseason and then waive Justin James, they can get up to four years, $62 million for Rashawn Holmes, when currently the early bird rights max offer they can do is four years, 47. And there's a good chance, I think, that Toronto or Charlotte beat the four years, 47. So if you're serious about resigning Holmes, I think dumping that money makes a lot of sense. Um, also, if they were to keep like Terrence Davis's cap hold, which obviously Terrence Davis is a complicated situation, um, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's something the team was trying to do this offseason and they keep his cap hold, then uh, the money they can reach renouncing other guys again and and waving Justin James would be four years, 57 and a half million for Holmes. But I think that's the money that they need, that they're going to need if they want to be serious contenders for re-signing Rashawn Holmes. And I think um, my max I would go is four years, 60, but this gives you that option. And you'd only have 11 rostered players if you're counting the ninth pick, not counting the 38 that they have at that point. But clearing cap space is a major plus behind the Marvin Bagley deal on top of you know him seemingly wanting out as well. Um, but what you mentioned was having to attach assets, other teams usually having to attach assets. I think Kings fans point of view, their hope would be that sending out Marvin Bagley, they could at least get minimal assets in return. What sort of deal would you start with if you were looking to acquire Bagley? Yeah. So a little context behind that. So I mentioned attaching assets. I think Bagley is the asset, right? Mm -hmm. And the Thunder have this is why this makes so much sense to me is the Thunder have a history of targeting high lottery picks who have been in the league for a couple of years, who maybe have some cultural issues with their current team, uh, haven't developed at the rate that that team would hope that they would develop at, uh, buying low on those guys and bringing them into what I like to call um, Sam Presti's rehabilitation center in Oklahoma city um, building that value back up. Traditionally, we've seen the Thunder build value back up and then flip those guys. But with a guy like Bagley at 22, you're trying to develop him in order for him to be a, a long-term fit for your team. Uh, some examples of that. I mentioned Nerland's Noel earlier, right? Uh, was a mess in, in Philadelphia, gets traded to Dallas, became even more of a mess in Dallas. One of my favorite NBA stories ever where Nerlens is sitting on the bench instead of going to the locker room at halftime, went to the Dallas media room and got a hot dog. Uh, I did not know that. Oh, you haven't heard that story. That's no. maybe one of my favorite NBA stories of like the past half decade. Yeah. <laughs> they were, Carlisle took them all to the locker room at halftime to, you know, talk strategy. And Nerlens just wandered over to the media press room and grabbed himself a hot dog. <laughs> and absolutely incredible. Um, but so the Thunder bring in Nerlens Noel, build him back up completely a facelift for his, his career. And then he gets a deal out in New York. Uh, another example, Ennis Cantor, whenever the Thunder made the Kendrick Perkins trade, brought in Ennis Cantor from Utah, who was a bit of a malcontent there, really reshaped his value. Ennis ended up getting a max contract offer and restricted free agency from the Portland Trailblazers, Thunder match. He's eventually used in the trade to acquire Carmelo Anthony. Um, Dion Waiters is another one. Uh, Thunder, he came over to the Thunder in a three-team trade where the Thunder sent out really nothing and just cashed in a, a traded player exception and got uh, Dion Waiters in, really built up his value. Waiters went off to uh, get a massive contract from the Miami Heat, although I think Waiters would have stayed around had Kevin Durant re-signed with the OKC Thunder. That's a very sad road that I don't want to get down, though. Um, so the Thunder have a history uh, of doing this where they bring in high lottery pick, hasn't worked out with their first team. Thunder bring them in, try to do a culture reset, a, a facelift of that player's career and build them back up. And so that's why I see there's some historical context here for what the Thunder might be able to do with Bagley. As far as the value, man, that's interesting. I think you have a better pulse on that than I do. 
Um, one thing I think a lot about is, so the Thunder have multiple trade exceptions, massive trade exceptions that Bagley would fit into. Um, the Thunder could just absorb him into cap space, like you mentioned earlier. The OKC Thunder also have six draft picks coming up on July 29th. There is no way they can make all those selections and roster those players. They, they just don't have the roster space for them. Now, yes, they could draft some guys and, and let those guys end up going into the, uh, the G League, um, where the Thunder have really utilized their G League program to develop players. But I wonder, is there a world where like the Thunder just absorb Marvin Bagley for like picks 34 and 36? Is that like shooting way too low, Brendan? Am, am I way out of, out of line here? I would do that really quickly, actually. Interesting. Okay. Um, I, I, I could see something like that happening. That's two draft picks that would have ended up as rostered players for the Thunder. You swap those. So you do a two. The Thunder are essentially doing a two for one deal. So they get off of one of those, those players that they would have to roster. Uh, it's a consolidation trade, which makes a little bit of sense for OKC. Um, there might be something there. I, I think that makes a little bit of sense. Yeah, would leave the Kings with three second rounders, but they'd all be really early, 34, 36, 39. And I think you could definitely consolidate those and get towards the uh, late first round. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, and, and you're getting as much cap relief as possible. But I think that, you know, if there's going to be listeners, Matt, if I don't ask, like, would you do a Darius Baisley swap? It's a no, right? Probably so. Darius Baisley had a very underwhelming sophomore year in the NBA. Uh, at towards the end of the season, he did put up very nice numbers, but it was inefficient. Um, I think the term like empty calories or or good stats on a bad team get overused a lot. <laughs> I think Devin Booker is our uh, chief example of that. But Darius Baisley really was that this year for the Thunder, uh, as as well as it, it's. This is a little off topic, but it, it's very funny to me that Celtics fans believe that they won the Kemba Walker Al Horford swap because they got Moses Brown mm-hmm. uh, and Moses <laughs> Brown put up stats. Um, Moses Brown, from all accounts, seems like a great human being and nothing against him, but he is not an NBA player uh, in this in the slightest sense. He moves so slow. You put him in any pick and roll and that, that guy's toast. Um, he was same thing, uh, good stats on a bad team type of thing at the end of last year. Darius Baisley was that to a higher extent. I think there's still some upside. Obviously, he's a 6'9", 21-year-old uh, who can dribble, pass, and theoretically shoot. And so I think the Thunder still value him high enough to, to not make a swap like that. Um, you mentioned Kenrich Williams earlier. I think the Thunder love Kenrich Williams. I don't know if they would do that either. Now, but there might be some other younger prospects on the Thunder roster that that maybe they would be willing to swap in a in a Bagley trade. But I think the the calling card for the Thunder would be, hey Sacramento, you don't have to take any salary back. We'll give you those those second round picks, um, and you can just unload that entire salary, and then you decide what to do with those seconds whether you G League stash them, overseas stash them, bring them in on a very, very lucrative second round deal. You know, that that three-year, $6 million with tons of team options or whatever. Um, so I, I think Darius Bays would probably be a no if I had to guess what the Thunder front office would do. Yeah. Um, I, I do think it would be interesting because, you know, like I, I do think, yeah, like you said, um, right. That Kenrich Williams probably wouldn't be an option, but like, obviously I would prefer Kenrich and one of those 34 over 36 rather than just the two picks. He's got a good mm-hmm. deal. I think like, you know, like a Mo Harkless replacement type guy is um, Harkless is going to be out this off season, potentially brought back, I guess. But I think he fills that sort of role on like a super team friendly deal. Like I think from Sacramento's point of view, I would try for that, but I would get why OKC wouldn't bite there. Um, I have to ask for the sake of the fan base, but it should be pretty obvious dorks off the table, right? Oh God, dude. Um, I'm going to be real honest with you. If, if Toronto called OKC and said six and Dort for four, I think I'm probably saying that Um, as much as I love the top five in this draft. I mean, Lou Dort makes $1.5 million next season. Yeah. A kid that shot 34% from three on volume attempts and towards the end of the season was really the only shot creator on the team. 
Um, I know I'm biased, but this kid is going to, in the next two years, get defensive player of the year buzz. Like maybe he doesn't make the, like the top three, but he's going to get defensive player. Like just a freaking animal built like a linebacker. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not on the table um, unless it is a very, very lucrative, like can't miss type of trade for the Thunder. Yeah. Makes plenty of sense. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, just absorbing Bagley into space for 34, 36 makes a lot of sense. Like I said, I would really push and try for Kendrick Williams. I see why it wouldn't happen. Uh, I guess one other guy to ask you about, what do you think of Isaiah Roby? Isaiah Roby's an interesting one. The Thunder are, I think big fans of him. Uh, they targeted him and, and made a trade for him that Justin Patton for Isaiah Roby trade. Um, both players were playing in the G league. Actually, funny enough, I was covering the Oklahoma city G league team, uh, the night that the Dallas G league team was, was in town, uh, playing in Oklahoma city. Isaiah Roby played that night. Uh, Sam Presti. Uh, I saw him in the, the parking garage, after that G league game. And then the next day he trades for Isaiah Roby. So he was obviously there scouting Isaiah uh, the night before. And then, you know, he was seen as just a, a G league type player and the production he had and what he was able to do this season. I think the Thunder are very high on, um, but that, that would make some sense like a Roby for, for Bagley swap. Um, I think the Thunder may be interested in doing something like that as well. I think they like Roby a lot, but I think the Thunder are here for upside swings, right? That they're swinging for the fences on everything that they do. And that would be the type of trade that would make some sense. And do you think they would be willing to throw in one of these second rounders as well? One of 34 or 36? Yeah. That, I mean, it's a possibility, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, 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 that's really hard for, for like me to project and, and put on my GM cap and think how Sam Presti thinks. Um, I mean, there, there's a chance there. Uh, I think maybe if it became like another team was also interested in giving up minimal assets for, for Marvin Bagley, the Thunder would say, oh, okay, well, we will toss in one of those seconds in order. Right. Again, it's a consolidation trade for the Thunder a little bit as well. Um, and and that's, the, that's the good thing about this Thunder team right now is they are armed to the teeth. Uh, draft picks are, are the currency of the NBA. So the Thunder are able to overpay to go get what they want. And so that... If it became, I don't want to use bidding war in the wrong sense, but if it became a bit of a, a competition with another team, I think the Thunder could trump it with, with one or both of those draft picks. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I don't see it becoming a bidding war. Like to me, OKC is the obvious partner here for a backlit trade. Um, other teams with cap space, I just don't see doing it. The Knicks, the Spurs, mm-hmm. Mavericks, Raptors, I guess maybe Raptors. Um but, you know, I, OKC, San Antonio, New York, and Dallas are the teams with really a lot of cap space. Um, so, I, I mean, it, it seems like the obvious trade partner. And I, I actually feel like there's a pretty good chance that from Sacramento's point of view, at least, that they would be really willing to make this happen this offseason. Is this something that feels pretty likely for you, too? Or at least I like, wouldn't be surprised if this went through? Yeah, if this happened, I wouldn't be overly surprised at all. Uh, it seems like such a Sam Presti move to me uh, to make something like this happen. I think there is something to be said about uh, teams and general managers and presidents of basketball ops uh, having relationships and and teams that do deals typically will do deals with one another again. Uh, I don't think the Thunder and the Kings have much trade history together. I know uh, there was Steven Adams trade talks back in the day. Um, I know there was, I believe, Cameron Payne talks back in the day and the Rudy Gay days of the Sacramento Kings. Um, so, so obviously that was a different regime for the Sacramento Kings, different front office for the Kings. But I know there's at least been rumors that there's been talks between those two teams before. So I would not be surprised if they went back to the well and tried to make something happen here. Again, for, from the Thunder's side of it, to me, it just makes so much sense. It, it's a consolidation trade, which they need. Uh, it's buying low on a formerly high lottery pick that needs a change of scenery, which they've done before. 
it, it just connects a lot of dots. And so I would not be surprised to see something like this happen. Yeah, same here. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, Sacramento's point of view, clearing that cap space as well, obviously to clear space to re-sign Rashawn Holmes, um, reach around that four years, 60, 60 million plus mark. Um, I should have mentioned earlier when I threw those numbers out there, those were all courtesy of Tim Maxwell. I'm sure everybody's following Sacramento Baby Draft on Twitter, uh, the cap guy at Kings Herald. So appreciate him for throwing out those numbers and letting me use those there. Um, but I think that's why that makes a lot of sense. I thought before Al Horford got moved, and I, I don't think that uh, a lot of Kings fans appreciated that I felt this way, that Buddy Heald for Horford made a lot of sense. So did I. Um, but yeah, past that at this point, I, I want to move. Um, I want to move to the draft here. How are you feeling? At pick six, do you have the consensus top four of Cunningham, Mobley, Green, Suggs? Yes. And from a uh, Thunder perspective, I mean, pick six, cool, whatever. Like, I, I've made my peace with it. But, man, what a miss for the Oklahoma City Thunder yeah. on lottery night. They had the potential of landing two top five picks. Actually, Brendan when you do the math, a 75% chance that the Thunder would end up with one top five pick, 25% chance they would end up with two top five picks, and a 7% chance that they ended up with one and five, they end up with number six. Uh, Just a a massive disappointment on lottery night. There's no other way uh, to say it. Uh, I mean, could you imagine if they landed one and five, and we were sitting here talking Cade Cunningham and and Kaminga or Scotty Barnes, like that's just like, that's cheating. That's like 2k shit, you know? And uh, unfortunately it didn't happen, but I've made my peace with it. I do have that. (laughs) Yeah. You sound over it. You sound over it. (laughs) I do have that consensus top four, uh, like everybody else does. Um, my order might be a little bit different than other, uh, people. Uh, Obviously I have Kate at number one, my two through four might be a little bit different than what other people have. And that's fine. Um, but then five and six get interesting. I don't know if this is just a uh, a Thunder fan like trying to to make peace with it, but we called it a five player draft all the way up to lottery night, and now it's starting to become a <laughs> six player draft. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of truth to that. Um, but so whoever falls to OKC at six, I think uh, the Thunder will be happy to take whoever they can get. Uh, I also wouldn't rule out a trade up. Five, six is Kaminga Barnes, right? Yeah, I, so, I believe so. And I think yeah. after six, there's a significant drop-off, right? I think you have right, like right. tier one of Cade, tier two, I would say, of Green Mogu Suggs, tier three of Kaminga Barnes. And then there's like a wide gap between tier three and tier four. Yeah. And personally, I think tier four, I actually only have two guys, um, at least on my Kings board. Um, but then, yeah, it becomes like a really big gap, I think for mm-hmm. a little while after that, probably about 10 on my board. Um, after that, I think you're reaching a tier of like eight guys or so, which will be interested when we talk about potentially trading down later for the Kings, um, with OKC's two later first rounders. But, um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me to go either Kaminga Barnes. I think that's the obvious five, six. Do you have yeah. a preference between the two? I have, um, been continuously growing on Barnes as a guy that loves defense. It's not all too surprising, um, but and maybe I'm buying the the combine jumper videos a little bit too much, where they literally only show makes. So it's kind of stupid. Um, but you know the the athletic tools are undeniable. I think it's the only guy in the class where you look at and are like, man, this guy could actually potentially defend one through five, um, and that's just so rare in the league. But um, Kuminga's upside, I, I think, is higher, even if he's higher risk and it would make sense for me if you felt like OKC was leaning towards a little bit more of a patient route, right? Yeah, the the Kaminga one makes sense. I would be worried about Kaminga ending up in a lot of different franchises across the league and not reaching his potential and possibly being out of the league in three or four years. I think the Thunder is not one of those places. I think the Thunder is a is a spot that, especially currently, is so invested in player development that they would take their time with Kaminga. They would get him the reps that he needs. And, and if there's any place where I think Kaminga could reach his ceiling, I think it could be Oklahoma city. Um, and like you said, I think Kaminga is definitely the lower ceiling, higher floor, uh, prospect out of the two. 
And the Thunder are taking swings for the fences. They are taking swings on these super high upside players. Hence, Alexei Pokashevsky last draft, right? Um, Which, God bless my soul, if Alexei reaches his potential, I am so irrationally high on that kid. It is stupid. Like, people make fun of me all the time. I don't care. He is Chris Stapp's Porzingis with a handle. We were a big Poku podcast last draft cycle. Oh, dude. He's, he is incredible. He, and just the goofiness of him, Brennan, I don't know if you've seen this, but go to the, the OKC thunder, like official Twitter account and scroll back a few days. They posted a video of Poku for national handshake day. And it is the most cringeworthy, awkward (laughs) video you will ever watch in your life. And I freaking love it. Uh, it's, oh man, I, I love this kid as, as if he were my own child. Um, but that, you know, I say oh my that God, because it's, great. <laughs> it's, it's so cringeworthy. I love that kid, man. The thunder are taking home run swings. Poku was a home run swing. Kaminga would be a home run swing. With that being said, I have completely bought into the Scotty Barnes hype and this is the chance where you get to call me an idiot on your own podcast. So, so gear it up. Am I crazy in thinking that in three years you could play Scotty Barnes primarily at the five and just create a, a mismatch nightmare? I think it's totally possible. I, I think uh, I would like, I, I'm a guy that uh, is just fiending for rim protection because of what I've had to watch in Sacramento the last few years. Um, <laughs> but I, I think if you're talking like a really switchable lineup, like I, I think totally possible that Scotty ends up at the five. And I got to tell you um, on the Kings Herald, we usually each end up with our own draft crush last year for Will Griffith was Poku by far and away over any other prospect. And this year it is very easily Scotty Barnes. I love so it. he is very quickly becoming an Oklahoma city fan. Might leave him with no other option. If Scotty's <laughs> the pick at six here. Um, I want to ask you, where do you feel? Because when you talked about a tier drop off after, um, after six, how big is that tier for you? Because if we're talking, you know, that um, I, I think the way that, the, the logic behind Sacramento trading back from nine, right. And going to 16 and 18 would be, if you feel, if you view it being that wide of a tier, I think you would have to feel like, you know, the prospect at nine could be just as good as the prospects at 16, 18 sort of thing. Um, and, and view that as a really big tier. Um, it, do you have it that wide? Like I said, like, I, I think that my hesitation is that I, I think there's a handful of guys, maybe four or five guys that I feel really good about for the Kings. And then it falls off after probably about 10 to 12 sort of range. So this is where my hesitancy in trading back is, but how big of a tier do you feel like it is after six? Yeah. So that's interesting. You know, it's because so many of those guys like six through 16, 17, 18, they all have upside. Um, they, they all have although it's probably a very small possibility. They have a possibility to hit, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, you're looking at guys like James Booknight, uh, Moses Moody, Josh Giddy, uh, down to Kai Jones. Uh, there, there's a lot of upside for all those guys. And so I think if, if I were to guess, I would say that all 30 front offices, their big boards, their, their own big boards, which I, I think typically do not, you know, mirror uh, public consensus on what we see from guys like Sam Vecini and Mike Schmitz and Jonathan Gavoni and, and, and Chad Ford. I think those are going to be all over the place. Some one team might have Moody at seven and another team might have Moody at 19. Right. And I think it all depends on kind of what you value and what you're looking at. So that's such a hard question to answer for me. After six, um, I would probably be looking at, from a Thunder perspective, I'm looking at guys that have that home run potential, right? So like James Booknight is high up there for me. I, I'm a very large James Booknight fan. Uh, he is my my number one trade-up candidate for the Thunder. Um, a guy like Alperin Shengwun, um, another, you know, really maybe a home run swing, uh, I worry that Shengun might just be like Ennis Cantor 2.0. Um, I have you know, the same and, concerns, but there's a whole hive on King's Twitter that loves <laughs> Shengun and I. 
I mean, th- th- there's an there's a possibility. I mean, the kid, it, his footwork's incredible. He's 18 years old. Uh, you get him over. You get him in an NBA gym with NBA trainers and are on an NBA um, dietary program, and he could really become something, right? And yeah. the, the concerns are defensive, just like Ennis Cantor as well. But um, so it's hard for me to say where I draw the line at with, with those prospects, like eight through 18, eight, eight through 20 and where I would do the, the tier break off just because I think it's so subjective for every team and kind of what you want out of the draft. Yeah. And, you know, I'll say like, personally for me, if you could guarantee me and, you know, this is never going to be able to be guaranteed. Maybe, you know, on draft night, something like that, um, that two of, this group is going to be there at 1618. And that group for me is Moses Moody, Franz Wagner, um, Jalen Johnson, Alperen Shengun, Kai Jones, Josh Giddy, and Zaire Williams. But, it, you know, it's a big group. So it's certainly not impossible. Um, but I do think there's a really good chance that only say one of those guys, maybe, maybe one of those guys is available at 16. Um, and, and there's some guys on that list where if one of them is available at 16, I would take, you know, say Moody is falling a lot on boards or he's kind of polarizing, like you mentioned, right? Um, I think that if Moody was available at 16 and you saw that on draft night, um, it doesn't really matter to me who else is left on the board. If all the other guys on that list are gone, I would do it because I would have taken Moody at nine sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so there's occasional instances like that that I think we're not going to know until draft night. But overall, I, I think it's pretty rare to see a team move up that many spots, Um with, with a trade like this, like um, when, when you're thinking, or I guess, do you think that you would be looking to package 16 and 18 to move up? I think the Thunder, common sense to me says the Thunder are trying to package 16 and 18 to climb in this draft. Yeah. Again, it's a number game for them. They have six picks in this draft. They have five or six in 2022. Um, there's just, there's not enough roster spots for all these guys. And at some point the thunder cannot be the Celtics and just sit on the assets and let the value run out and not, not make a move. Right. Um, we saw the Celtics. I mean, the Celtics hit obviously very high on the draft with, with Jalen Brown and, and, um, Jason Tatum, but then they sat on all the rest of those picks that had high value. And then on draft night did not have as high a value uh, they just make selections instead of swinging uh, and making trades. And I don't think the Thunder are going to make that mistake. Um, they have to start packaging some of this stuff at some point and climb up. I think this is the draft to do it, especially with Shea Gilgis-Alexander uh, signing the extension this summer, uh, as we expect he will. It, it's time to, to start climbing draft boards, getting the guys that you're targeting, uh, and start putting this thing together. I know it's still going to be a long rebuild, but you you can't just sit on your hands, number one. And number two, you just you're never going to be able to draft all of these guys. So it's you've got to start packaging things together. And I think that starts with 16 and 18 this year. Yeah, that makes sense. I think King Spence will have some flashbacks to 2017. They traded pick 10 for 15 and 20. Mm-hmm. Um at 10 went Collins, but uh right before their second pick at pick or their what became their first pick at pick 15. Uh pick 13 was Donovan Mitchell and pick 14 was Bam Adebayo. And you ended up with Justin Jackson and Harry Giles. Yeah. So, you know, I I mean, but sometimes it does work for teams. Um, We've definitely seen it happen before, but is there um, a team that you feel like you guys have identified as a likely trade-up candidate? So I want to propose a Kings trade to you in a second to trade up to nine. Um, But before we get there, I think I I really look at New Orleans at 10. We talked about how the Thunder are going to utilize their cap space moving forward. Um, if the Thunder could trade 16 and 18 to the Pelicans at 10 and um, the Pelicans send back like a, a Bledsoe into OKC's cap space or Steven Adams returns to Oklahoma City in cap space and the Thunder get maybe another asset, another like small asset from the Pelicans uh, for absorbing one of those two massive contracts. I think something like that makes some sense. Again, it's another way for the Thunder to consolidate, um, run out their cap space, and climb the draft board to get to where they want. And then let's say they do that three days before draft night. Now, 
the Magic still have a better trade-up option at five and eight, but Thunder sitting at six and 10 and all those future picks, I think then you are in the conversation to, can we get to four with Toronto? Um, if Cleveland is unable to, to pull off a Colin Sexton trade, can you get to three with the Cavs? Um, you're not getting number one. I don't think that's happening. I think if Detroit trades number one, it's to fall back to number two, pick up another asset and get Jalen Green um, because whoever's at number one is taking Cade. So I don't think you're getting number one. I think there's a chance maybe the Thunder could swing a deal at number two, um, but but I'm not for sure. So, uh, yeah. but at six and ten, you have you can either take two guys you really like in the top ten. Or you have even more ammo to try to aim to get into that top five. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the Kings trade, I want to propose to you, Brendan. Tell me how you feel about this. And, and again, uh, your listeners understand that I, I'm biased. I'm a, I'm a Thunder guy. So what about 16, 18, 34, 36, and Roby? for nine and Bagley. Hmm. Um, I think again, I would have to, it would have to be on draft night and I know who is available there at 16 and yeah. one of those guys falls. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of combining the two trades that we've talked about, right? Yeah, it, it's, exactly. the, it's the Bagley yeah. with the two seconds. And then it would be trading 16 and 18 for nine is kind of how I would look at that. Um, you know, something that's interesting when you were talking about, I think the whole taking on Bledsoe or Steven Adams makes a lot of sense with New Orleans, right? Um, say that Bagley wasn't, or, you know, I think Buddy Heald is also a guy the Kings could be looking to dump. Do you think that there's any sort of frame where we're talking 16 and 18 for nine, and you're also willing to take on the contract of Buddy Heald that has, you know, three years, 60 million remaining left? Definitely. I, I think that is something that the Thunder would entertain. I don't think Oklahoma City has any interest in Buddy Heald, although, you know, he played his college ball 30 minutes away from the Chesapeake Energy Arena. Uh, I don't think the Thunder, he just doesn't fit the timeline, obviously. That, that would be a trade to get the asset of pick number nine, not to get Buddy Heald. Right. And if that were to happen, uh, I would highly expect a a trade later on down the line that would flip buddy somewhere else, maybe into the Knicks cap space. Um, maybe the thunder find a, a team. I don't know, like Milwaukee makes a little bit of sense for buddy healed. Um, maybe they find a team like that where, where they can trade off buddy healed for, uh, you, you know, a, a bad contract and, and a pick or something like that. So I, I could definitely see something like that coming to fruition. Um, but I don't think Buddy would be long in Oklahoma City. Yeah, makes sense. And I think that, um, you know, the writing on the wall is the Kings have been trying to move healed for a little while now, what feels like a year, um, and haven't really had any takers. And we don't know how much they're asking for or anything like that. Um, I, I see this one as pretty unlikely. I, I kind of have thought the teams that are going to be interested in healed are the ones that already are high usage and are viewing him as kind of like a six man or, um, you know, somebody that, is just playing primarily off ball on uh, these other high usage creators. I, I think healed could really work out a role there, obviously just like with some like elite shooting. So I kind of think that, you know, um, with OKC's less talented roster at the current point, maybe playing off of like Kemba and SGA wouldn't be bad for him, but um, we saw buddy's value go down a lot when the ball was in his hands more often. And I could see that happening a little bit in OKC. Um, I don't know. I, I don't see this as, um, likely as the Bagley deal, but I think yeah. it's definitely interesting to mention um, when you threw out, you know, taking on money because I think that um, Buddy Hield could be a guy they're looking to dump. But I think that it's more likely to happen with Bagley when it comes to these two teams. And I think dumping Bagley is all you would need to re-sign Holmes. Um, I wouldn't touch over forty or sixty million anyways when it comes to that. Um, you know, the the other thing I want to ask you here, Jacob, is um, you know the Kings are going to be fighting for the play-in next season. And we'll see how that goes and turn out great this year, even if they got kind of close. Um, do you think that OKC is a team that's going to be doing the same thing? Or, you know, what I've seen thrown around is not landing one of these top picks may lead to another year of tanking here. This is such an interesting question. So a little bit of context. 
the Thunder, their own 2022 first-round pick is actually owed to the Atlanta Hawks uh, lottery protected. So the Thunder only keep it if it if that pick lands one through 14. I don't think the Thunder are overly excited about uh, having that pick convey to the Hawks. Um, I don't know if the Thunder are good enough as constructed to make the playoffs, but they are too good to have a full out tank and end up with the fourth best odds. Again, uh, the only reason the Thunder got to the fourth best odds this season was because Shea Gilgis Alexander uh, had plantar fasciitis, Thunder traded George yeah. Hill and sat Al Horford for the rest of the year. Uh, before the Thunder sat Shea Gilgis Alexander, he was averaging like 24 points, uh, like six assists and like seven rebounds shooting 42% from three on five attempts a game, 70% of his threes unassisted. Uh, so very difficult shots to make, right? He sole creator on the team. He led the NBA in drives per game. So this kid was living in the paint, driving, breaking down defenses, kicking out to shooters or, or making layups, and then hitting step back threes, sidestep threes, isolation threes off the dribble at a 42% clip. If Shea played the entire season, I think the Thunder this past season would have been very firmly in the play-in conversation. You give Shea another offseason. You give Poku an offseason. You give Lou Dort an offseason. You bring in another one of these draft picks. Uh, from my assumption, what, what I think is going to happen is Kemba Walker is going to start the year on this team, uh, playing minutes. I don't see how they, they land with one of the four worst records in the league. Um, I, I, I think they could be in the conversation for the play in. I think if you put truth serum in the front office, they want to be in the lottery again. They don't want to convey that pick especially after not landing a top five pick this year. And again, there's a chance they could trade up uh, into the top five. I know that's, you know, we're hearing that no, no one's going to trade, you know, maybe Toronto at four, maybe Orlando at five, but those top three, we'll see. The Thunder can overwhelm anybody with an offer at this point. So it's going to be interesting, but I don't foresee the Thunder making a playoff push this next season. Uh, I think their, their focus for this next year is player development. Uh, wins and losses be damned. We want to see our young guys grow and get better. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, Sacramento, I would call the more talented roster, but uh, coaching has me a little bit skeptical. And I think there's a good chance they're in the same tier uh, when we're talking the end of next season, even though I think Sacramento should be in a better spot. I think with the current talent on the roster, um, I, I do see how they could be very comparable and neck and neck fighting for this next season. I think alongside, you know, the Spurs, the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, um, a lot of the same candidates from last year. Yeah. So it's going to be uh, another tense, you know, race in the West where even Minnesota, I, I think, is likely to improve based off last year, especially they get Cat and D'Lo healthy together, which was something that happened very rarely this year. They're going to have progress from Ant, obviously. Um, who knows if you see a step up from a Koki or Culver, some guys like that on the roster. So I think it's a interesting sort of a tier here in the West that I think Sacramento and OKC could totally find themselves within the same range there. Um, Jacob, do you have any other questions for me here? Anything else you want to throw out before I think we kind of wrap up here? Mm, who is your guy in an ideal scenario? Obviously the top six go as planned in the draft. Who is your ideal guy at nine for the Kings? It's Moses Moody or Franz Wagner. Yeah, I'm not huge on Franz Wagner. Uh, Moody, I love that kid, man. Yeah. He's got, I don't know if he'll ever be a superstar. I don't know if he'll ever be a star. But as far as a guy that can just D up, can get you a bucket, can fall into a role, understands um, what he'll be in the NBA, I like that kid a lot. Yeah. The, and uh, and the, the plus, what is it? Plus eight and a plus half inch. Eight. Yes. Crazy. Insane. Crazy. You can play him. You can play him at the three with those arms. That's that's not a problem at all. So uh, I like I like Moses Moody a lot. He would be one of my trade up candidates. I mentioned earlier, uh, Book Knight is. I'm really high on Book Knight. I think he's got a little bit of a 
a little bit of Devin swing and, and I'm a big fan of the kid, but Moses Moody would be awesome. And uh, just, just for, for you and your listeners, I also have to say, I am such a massive fan of Tyrese Halliburton and I cannot wait to see what he looks like in year two. We will take any Halliburton praise on the spot at all times. Uh, we, we somehow probably don't do it enough, even though it seems to happen all the time. Uh, shocked me this year and, and kind of made me really question what is this kid's ceiling with some of the off the dribble creation and shot making that he had. Um, and I'll say after Moody Wagner, who I have as like my seven, eight in their own tier on my King centric board, then my nine, 10, 11 are all guys like I would be okay with the Kings picking too. Um, Josh Giddy, who I um, am currently writing a profile on. So I'm watching a crazy amount of Giddy games back to back. And Bryant, my usual coast, calls it a, a profile high that he gets on some of these guys. So I think I'm feeling a little too too giddy about about Josh right now. Um, <laughs> but then I have Giddy, Jalen Johnson, Zaire Williams, and I think I'm going to end up moving Alperin Shangun into this group as well, just because I do see the upside. You know, um, I think Sabonis comparisons are are thrown out, and Ooh, I, I like that. Yeah, I think when you're talking a ceiling, I see it, even though it scares me. And I'm a guy that leans defense. Um, and, you know, a lot of reasons I'm going to lean towards these defensive guys and why Franz is so interesting to me um, is I think Fox Halberton can handle most of your offensive load. So I, I want defensive complementary pieces or defensive difference makers and offensively just be complementary sort of thing. Um, totally makes sense. But that's where I'm at. I, uh, I think there's a good chance we're talking again, Jacob, when Bagley's headed to OKC. Hey, I hope so. I hope so. Whenever it happens, you're, we'll have to get you on the uncontested to uh, to give us a full breakdown of of Bagley's game and the scouting report on his dad. There you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think just check his Twitter. You'll get the whole gist pretty quick. Um, yeah, Jacob. Here, here's here's my my dream scenario. Okay, uh, sorry, I don't, I don't mean to keep you from ending the pod, but no, you're good. this would just be the funniest thing in the world to me is if the Thunder trade those two second rounders for Bagley. And then the Kings use one of them to draft. It's Bagley's brother that's in the draft this yes. year, right? Yes. They use 34 to draft his brother and his dad just has an aneurysm. That would be like hands down the funniest <laughs> NBA thing in the world to me. That would be hilarious. I don't know if Kings fans would find it as hilarious. Honestly, I think some of them would. It'd be a coin flip fan to fan, but that would be quite the outcome for sure. Um <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, I can only imagine. Um, Jacob, thank you for coming on, man. Um, host of the Uncontested Podcast, Blue Wire Podcast Network. Definitely follow Jacob Niffen on Twitter. That's Niffen with a K, K-N-I-F-F-E-N. Um, again, I really appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, I'm sure we'll be speaking again in the future. But for now, everybody, definitely check out the work going on at kingsherald.com. I'll have my Giddy profile up soon. I think Bryant will have his Zaire Williams one. And there's constant other content there as well. So take a look at the Patreon. It's both local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Hear from us again in the next couple of days here.